What's up, ladies and gentlemen? I hope you're having a fantastic Sunday so far, fantastic weekend. Hope you're looking forward to a productive week, a week where you're grinding, you're getting after it. I appreciate you tuning in to the 37th episode of the Footballer's Journey podcast. Today we got a guest originally from Macclesfield, England, currently playing in the Gibraltar Premier League for Europa Point FC, who could potentially play in the Europa or the Champions League, and man, I sure hope he gets into that one. Um, he's a 24-year-old goalkeeper, brings a ton of knowledge to the podcast, drops a ton of golden nuggets. I know you're going to enjoy this one. I'll see you at the end. Hey, Connor, what's up, bro? Hello, mate. How are you? Yeah, good, man. Good, man. Good to get you on the podcast. I appreciate you taking the time to come on. No, thank you for having me. I'm big fan of what you're doing with your channels and with the podcast so i appreciate you asking me on of course man of course and uh yeah i've checked out your youtube channel as well and i appreciate what you're doing as well putting out great content putting out real transparent content uh that's you know that's what uh these young footballers need you know no that's very kind of you i try and try and keep it as honest and as and as real as possible so that there's no delusion with like you say, the journey of trying to become a professional footballer and trying to play at the highest level. And I hope kind of people <laughs> appreciate that kind of honesty with it rather than just just showing the best bits. Of course, man. Of course. So, yeah, if you could just, you know, introduce yourself, you know, your name, how old you are, where you're originally from, where you're currently playing, your position, and then, you know, just a bit of a background on your, uh, your journey up to your first uh, professional contract would be great. Yeah, of course. So my name's Connor O'Keefe. I'm 24 years old. Um, originally, I'm from the northwest of England from a town called Macclesfield, which is about half an hour away from Manchester, which is probably a bit more well known. Um, I'm a goalkeeper. Uh, I'm currently playing in Gibraltar, which is um, a small foreign territory of the UK on the end of Spain, right at the southern end of Spain. Um, they have their own league there, although it's a very, very small territory with not very many people. Um, I play in the Gibraltar National League, which is a, a UEFA top league with 12 teams in it. And um, as a result of it being a, a kind of UEFA league, if you win the league or come second, you qualify for Champions League and Europa League wow. and, and all that kind of stuff. So it's a, it's a strange scenario and, and culture that I found myself in, in terms of football with the possibility of, of European football. Um, but I'm enjoying playing in a new, in a new league, uh, in a new um, territory with new people and um, learning a lot from it. Um, I think in terms of my, my backstory, um, I have a little bit of a different story to, to most footballers. Um, I've been playing in goal for as long as I can remember. My brother, my little brother, who's only about a year younger than me, um, he's a, a striker. So since we were kids, we were in the garden and he was just shooting at me for hours and I just enjoyed diving around and landing in the mud and making saves. Mm -hmm. And um, that's kind of where my love of goalkeeping came from. Um, from then, as I got a bit older, I, start, I, was in the, I was in an academy at Crew Alexandra, which is quite a well-known football club in, in the UK for producing young kids. 
Um, I didn't really enjoy it. I was there quite young. I was there at 10. And although week in, week out, we were playing teams like United, Liverpool, City, Everton, training four or five times a week, it was just too much for me. Um, Mm -hmm. I didn't enjoy my football. I kind of dreaded going in and and when you're not enjoying playing against Man United on a weekend, you know that, you know that there's a little bit of an issue there. So yeah, exactly. Um, so my my mum and dad said, "Listen, just just leave if you're not enjoying it. Just leave." So that's what I did. I, after a year, I left, went to play Sunday League, uh, which is like just amateur football with with my mates. So I was playing outfield then in in centre midfield with my mates on a Sunday, and kind of got my love of football back. Um, then at 12 years old, I joined Macclesfield Town, which was my local team. And I stayed with them all the way through from 12. Uh, at 16, I was offered a youth team contract. Um, ironically, the same youth team that your previous guest, Andrew Mills, played for. So Yeah, it's hilarious. Yeah, when I joined at 16, he was just leaving the youth team and becoming a first-year pro. So um, I know Millsy quite well and we're, we're quite good friends. So that was, that was very funny to see that you'd had him on the podcast. Um, but yeah, I did my youth team scholarship at the same time. Education was a big, uh, big part of my life as well. I enjoyed my studies, my academics. Um, so whilst I was in the youth team, um, I managed to normally when you join a youth team in England, you, you have to leave school, you become an apprentice. So you're, uh, employed by the club and you train and you study at the club for a, for a BTEC kind of qualification, but that wasn't something that I wanted to do. So I managed to negotiate with the club that I could continue at my school to do A-levels, which are qualification. So I would mm-hmm. train in the morning, uh, same as everyone else, um, and then drive back to my school in the afternoon to kind of do extra classes and study for my A-levels. Uh, as a result, I wasn't paid because I couldn't be a full-time apprentice because I wasn't part of the full course. So I was mm. actually technically a trialist for two years. But I played every wow. game. I trained every session. Um, but then when and you were back in goal over there. Yeah, I was playing in goal. So, so sorry. Yeah, from twelve to to all the way through, I'd been back in goal. It was just that little stint mm-hmm. at Sunday League. Um, but yeah, playing, and I was basically yeah. So I was I was just a trialist and training and playing so that I could go and do my studies. I was told at that point. Well, no one can combine the two. It's very difficult to do, but. I managed to get two A's and a B in my A-levels. And also I was offered a, a pro contract at Macclesfield. So I, I got the best of wow. both, which I was very grateful yeah. for. Um, I then took the year pro at Macclesfield, third choice goalkeeper, um, not really playing very often, had a few loan moves, been on the bench, that kind of thing, but not really getting much game time. Um, mm-hmm. And as a result of doing my studies, I had an offer from Loughborough University, which is the best sporting university in the UK. Um, mm-hmm. And after my one year as a pro at, at Macclesfield, I decided to go and have a look at Loughborough. And the facilities there were like a Premier League championship club. I mean, wow. a lot of people outside of the UK won't know about Loughborough, but those within the UK will do. And it's the home of British athletics, British swimming, uh, British netball, uh, all the elite athletes that you can think of from Britain have trained or have a link with Loughborough in some way Mm -hmm. so joining the Loughborough University kind of football program was like becoming well staying as a full-time professional but also studying for a degree so I joined Loughborough we would train every day 
both in the gym and on the pitch. We'd have nutrition, we'd have S&C help, we'd have sports psychology, we'd have everything you could hope for as an athlete in terms of coaching and, and facilities, but also doing your studies too. So I studied for an international business degree at the same wow. time. Um, so I did two years of that, uh, playing for the first team at Loughborough. Um, then in my third so, year... So did they, what type of league did they play in? Uh, did, did they play in like a conference league or how does that work? Yeah, it's a good question. So, I mean, it's slightly different to the American system in terms of college uh, football, but Loughborough... Yeah. There are there is a universities league in terms of um, football. It's it doesn't have the same prestige as it does in America because in England it's very rare that your footballers come from the university. It's starting to change a little bit now, but we don't have the draft system. We don't have the kind of mm-hmm. the direction that players go through education first before coming professionals. They normally leave education at sixteen and then go on to play for for the teams that you know. Um, so sure. it, it doesn't have the same kind of acclaim or the same eyeballs on it but there is a universities league which Loughborough plays in but at the same time Loughborough is quite unique in the fact that it's one of the few universities in the UK that also plays in non-league football so they play within the English football pyramid so they compete in the FA Cup they play in Mm. in non-league you can get relegated promoted you play against part-time teams because I think it's down in the uh, it's in the fifth tier of non-league so the ninth tier of English football that's when mm-hmm. you you really learn real football. You're competing against men week in week out who have full time jobs and are playing part time. Some teams who are paid quite a lot of money and things like that. So it's it's a big learning curve when you go to Loughborough because a lot of the players, including myself, were players that had been at clubs, professional clubs before, but this was their first taste of real kind of men's football. Um, mm-hmm. So that was my first taste of playing uh, men's football in my third year. I did a study abroad year for my degree, so I went to Madrid. Um, How old were you at that point? I was twenty-one, just turned okay. twenty-one as I as I as I went to Madrid. I was twenty-one in the September. Um, I always wanted to play in Spain. <laughs> I always wanted. I love Spanish football. I'd watched it a lot as a kid. Mm-hmm. I was a huge fan of Ica Casillas because I wasn't the tallest keeper, and uh, he kind of showed that height wasn't so much of a factor when you could win Champions Leagues and La Ligas and be the best goalkeeper in the world at 5'11 or whatever Casillas was. So I always wanted to try Spanish football. So I I went to to Spain and I ended up playing for a club called Fuenlabrada, who are now in the second tier of Spanish football. Uh, I I was third choice then, but I was training full time with them. We were in the third tier at the time. Um, We had a Was that the Tercera? Uh, No, Segunda B. Okay. Um, so the uh, we had a great Copa del Rey run in that year. We ended up drawing Real Madrid. So we had Real Madrid at home and away at the Bernabeu. So travelled to the Bernabeu as part of the squad. It's kind of wow. met Gareth Bale, like watched my team. Wow. We got a 2-2 draw at the Bernabeu, which was ridiculous. Um, Jeez. How and, many people were there to see that match? Well, it was. <laughs> it seemed empty because it was the Bernabeu, but there was... Yeah. 45,000 there, I think. Wow. So wow. It, it was ridiculous. Um, and at the same time, I was studying. I was doing my year abroad. So it was similar to my youth team days and the fact that I would train in the morning and then go back and study for, for part of my degree in the afternoon. Um, mm-hmm. After that year came to an end, I returned to Loughborough, did my final year at the university, my final year as a kind of student athlete, um, completed my degree, got a 2-1 in my international business degree. 
um, mm. played my 114th game for Loughborough. Um, and wow. then that was the end of my kind of university career. So I was looking to get back into full-time football again. And that's what's led me to Gibraltar and to Europa Point FC, who I'm playing for at the minute. And um, that's kind of the, the story up till now. <laughs> hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just a couple of questions. So, you know, you said uh, you went from English football to Spanish football. What did you notice, you know, was some of the major differences? I mean, you know, you said you loved Spanish football, but until you actually experience it and, and see everything for yourself, uh, you don't know the main difference, you know. So if you could just point some of those out, it'd be great. Yeah, of course. I mean, I had all the kind of the 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 common perceptions of Spanish football in the, in the year leading up to it. I thought I'm going to have to work on my distribution. I'm going to have to work on my feet, playing with my feet. And I, I put a lot of time and effort into that. But I think mm-hmm. the main thing that I I noticed when I went to Spanish football and the thing that hit me the most was the focus on technical ability in terms of mm. what you can do on the pitch, in terms of your first touch, your what you bring to the team from a technical perspective. In English football and British football, there is a lot of emphasis on strength and power and speed. It's a very fast For game. Sure. And it's very intense. And as a result, we do a lot of work in the gym to try and make sure that as a team or as an individual player, you're up to that level. When I went to Spain, sometimes at Fuenlabrada, we'd train in the gym as a team two hours a week, if that. Mm-hmm. The rest of the time, it was always on the pitch. Everything that we did was on the pitch with the ball. And if you couldn't keep wow. up from a technical perspective, you stuck out like a sore thumb. <laughs> I remember wow, my, I remember my first time in a Spanish rondo and the ball was just zipping <laughs> around me and I couldn't yeah. see it, let alone get near it. And wow. they're laughing at you, they're taking the mick out of you and you kind of realise, right, I can be as strong and as quick and as powerful as I want to be, but if I can't compete with them on a technical level, then I'm never going to get in the team. So it was, it was great for me as a player because as a result, I had a brilliant goalkeeper coach there. I was training with two keepers who were unbelievable, who'd played for, one of them had played for Real Madrid with Casillas, one of them had played for Espanyol. And, and I learned so much from them in terms of my goalkeeping technical ability, my positioning, my handling, my footwork. I had the I had the explosive power, I had the spring and the agility from my time in England, but mm. I almost had to rebuild my technical focus and, and what I did technically as a goalkeeper. So it was great for me to kind of learn that other side of it and combine the two in my game because now I do feel that as a result, I have quite high levels of both physical ability mm-hmm. and technical ability. So that's what I'm keep, I keep pushing to kind of maintain and improve on uh, each day at the moment, really. Of course, yeah. I mean, it's it's the best of both worlds, like you said, you know. Exactly. I'm sure uh, compared to most English players, you know, before you went to Spain, like you said, you were working on the, the technique and, and the individual ability on the ball. Um, and, you know, you, you probably – felt like you were one of the better player, better technical goalkeepers. Mm-hmm. But then when you go to a new environment, that, that, that's why I think going to new environments, you know, traveling um, overseas, uh, trying, playing in new countries, you just grow so much as a footballer and, and as a person. And le- like you said, you know, the fact that, uh, you know, you go into a rondo and you see how good these guys are, you know, you go back home and you're like, man, I got to put in some extra work. And <laughs> yeah. At the end of the day, that, that leads to so much better, you know, your technical ability skyrockets. And then when you go back home to England, you know, you, you outperform these guys. Yeah, of course. No, I definitely felt that I leveled up in terms of 
in terms of myself as an individual player when I returned from it. And the challenge then was to maintain that growth, like you say, and maintain that improvement level because it can plateau if you're not in that environment. So like you say, learning different environments, being in different environments and different styles of football and training is definitely helpful when you're trying to evolve as a player. Absolutely. Yeah, so you said, you know, you came back after that season, uh, finished out at Longbro. What were you, 22 when you when you graduated? Uh, I was 23 when I graduated from Loughborough, yeah. Okay, and, and then what was basically the next step from there? Um, well, it was quite a difficult summer because in terms of the fact that for the past four years, I always knew where I was going to be. So even when I went to Spain, mm-hmm. I didn't know which club I would be in, but I knew because of the university that I would be in Madrid. So it made it easier exactly. to try and find a club. Uh, when I finished at Loughborough, it was it was almost as though, right, right, the world's now open. You want to mm-hmm. be a professional footballer, go and find yourself a team. <laughs> and exactly. it, was, it, was, it was kind of the first summer that I'd had where I had no idea where I'd be or what could happen. And that can be overwhelming at times, but it's also quite exciting. Sure. It's, it's exciting For to sure. think of the, the different possibilities. So I spent uh, many weeks <laughs> contacting lots of different clubs, lots of different agents, visiting trial days, doing all sorts that you, know, that you normally do as a footballer when you're trying to find mm-hmm. a club. Um, and I had a few different offers, um, but the Gibraltar offer and Europa Point was definitely the most interesting one for me uh, this summer just gone. For sure, for sure. So, uh, you know, you talk about reaching out to agents, reaching out to people, doing some networking. Um, you know, just just to uh, point out to the people listening who are looking to, you know, get that professional contract, what were like, you know, your, your avenues that you kind of used um, in terms of networking and, and what was like most successful for you, you know, because uh you know i think people try all these things um you know and, and i think sometimes you have to double down on one avenue uh what it, what worked for you best if, if you could yeah, share it, i mean it'd be interesting to hear your point of view on this as well because i think like you said mm-hmm. different different aspects work for different people i've always found that you will always have the strongest relationships with people that have seen you and talked to you and met you in person so i would try for whenever I was invited to trial days or, or things like that, I would always make sure that I went and I would make sure that I'd be polite and I'd be professional and I'd create a relationship with the coaches that were there, the scouts that were there, shake people's hand, look mm-hmm. them in the eye. Um, Absolutely. Because you never know what opportunities come from those people. And my Europa Point opportunity came from a trial day. It was a lot further down the line, but someone who was involved with the trial day was also involved with the project, blah, blah, blah. And that's how I managed to get the link. Um, it wasn't that I stuff. went to a Europa Point trial day. It was a, it was something completely different. But I've always mm-hmm. found that that personal relationships are the most um, fruitful when you're trying to find a new opportunity. Saying that, they're the most difficult to get hold of. So mm-hmm. at the same time, you need to utilize things like social media with or even LinkedIn. Try and develop mm-hmm. relationships, contact coaches, contact scouts. And at the same time, these guys receive hundreds of emails a day with people wanting opportunities. So you have to differentiate yourself. So again, Mm -hmm. I've created a YouTube channel where people can follow my journey as a professional goalkeeper. And they've seen it. We're into series three now. So season three and the fact that Mm. they've seen my journey in Spain, they've seen it in Loughborough, they're now seeing it in Gibraltar. 
on that YouTube channel, you can watch all my personal highlights from games, from seasons. You can see what I do in training sessions. You can see how I talk and how I approach and how I live my life as a professional footballer. So I've used that too to try and build uh, a personal brand and build a personality that people understand that I'm taking this seriously. And and I think mm-hmm. you have to maximise all the opportunities because it's it's so difficult and there are so many people gunning for the same thing that you have to stand out in terms of your quality and your ability but also in how you create the opportunities and I know as well as anyone how difficult it is to create them but a lot lot of perseverance obviously is is needed in order to to create something for yourself so I'd be interested to hear what you thought actually in terms of how you found it yeah absolutely I mean Matt I, I completely agree with with everything you just said. And I think number one, like you said, I think the most important thing is personal relationships um, uh, on um, in person and online. Like Mm -hmm. you said, first thing, the most important is in person. Uh, When you go to, when you, you know, if you even just go to a pickup game, Mm -hmm. uh, you shake everyone's hand, uh, you be respectful, you work hard, you become friendly with guys, you have a bit of banter. And then, you know, you like, you know, you just take their number, mm-hmm. you chat them up and um, you never know what could come out of that. Mm-hmm. Then, like you said, when you go, if you go to a, if you go to an open trial or you go to an organized trial by an agent or something that you created uh, for yourself, like you said, you go up to the coaches, you look them in the eye, you show them you're, uh, you're a man, you mm-hmm. really want this thing. Um, you're a really hard worker. Uh, and then, of course, you show them your ability. But, you know, I've seen all over the place. Uh, sometimes these coaches, they look for more of a guy who's a professional on and off the pitch mm-hmm. uh, with good behavior, respectful, a leader uh, who's going to be a good influence on on younger guys, on, on other guys mm-hmm. uh, to be, a, you know, a good man in the locker room. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like you said, I mean, I think in today's day and age, um, with the internet, with how powerful and strong it is, you know, your reputation is everything, whether you're trying to build a business, uh, or you're trying to, you know, be successful in your football career. Mm -hmm. I tell everyone, you know, your football career, your biggest asset is yourself. And that's why I'm so, um, so, uh, in on, on health and fitness and taking care of yourself on and off the pitch. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, you know, you can have as many opportunities as you want. If you're not ready, you're not going anywhere. Yeah. So your your development, your career begins and ends with you. Obviously, and, and yes, you need so many lucky breaks. Um, you need to meet the right people. It needs to be the right time, like you said. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like you said, when you demonstrate uh, to people uh, in a real way that you're a professional guy on and off the pitch, the word's going to get around that you're a good dude and you're going to get an opportunity um, somewhere. Yeah. You know? Um, and then, like you said, the second thing, uh, which I think is huge, is LinkedIn. I think it's um, very underrated. I've been telling a lot of people that I speak to in DMs, a lot of friends who are looking for opportunities. Mm. Man, whatever country you want to go to, just type in on LinkedIn, football scouts in Gibraltar, football scouts in Germany, football scouts. And, and, and so many things will pop up, mm-hmm. you know, and literally you just got to blast these people. You know, mm-hmm. you just got to and you got to have a CV and a video ready. 
And yeah. you just got to send out as many messages as possible. It's like, a, it's like you know, trying to get a girl at, at a bar or, you know, whatever. Like, the more you send out, yeah, yeah. you know, the more of a chance, you know, something's going to happen. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You can't just sit around and, and expect something to fall on your lap. So, yeah, I like agree. you said, I mean, it's, it's so many, <laughs> so many aspects. And you, you honestly got to be dialed in and focused and concentrated on every aspect, because like you said, there are so many people, so many people who want, who want to be, you know, kicking a ball, making money, uh, kicking a ball, uh, waking up and, and training. Um, but also what I, what I try to point out to people is there's also a lot of people that aren't doing all the right things. Mm -hmm. So if you focus and do all the right things, um, you know, your chance is much, much, much better. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, man, like you said, I mean, I, you pointed out in the beginning, um, <clears throat> how people would, people said to you that it, it would be tough to get good grades and, and, uh, you know, play professional football, yeah. sign a professional football contract. I date back to that. And, uh, I'm sure, you know, going through that and putting in the hard work and being disciplined through that is fueling what's what's going on now and will continue to fuel your career yeah i think i think obviously doubt is is a huge motivator for a lot of people um i think on the education side i've always been a little bit envious of of how they do it in america and the fact that education and sport i know there's flaws in the system but education and sport mm -hmm. work together to help people to improve in both so you might receive an education because you are good at sport that you never would have received normally or as a result of your education you can continue to do your sport etc in in England it's the wrong way around in the fact that it almost feels like if you want to be good at sport if you want to be a professional the common mindset is you have to give up your education to do that and I think that's wrong mm. I don't think it's it interesting I don't think it should be that way and I don't and I hope that I've started to prove that <clears throat> it doesn't have to be that way <clears throat> Um, so I think that's something that I will continue to focus on maybe later in my career. Um, but for myself personally, I mean, I've always been told that I was never going to make it for lots of different reasons. Everyone has. But for, mm -hmm. my, for my education, for my height, I'm, I'm six foot. And in England, you, you hear scouts and managers all the time go, unless you're six foot three, you're not going to be a professional yeah. goalkeeper. Exactly. And, I mean, I you just have to look to America the other day and, Nick Romando retiring mm -hmm. and, and what he's done to chain perceptions and things like that. And like I said, Ike Casillas and Victor Valdez and Claudio Bravo and Fabian Bartes. I can list off these world-class goalkeepers that have showed that it's not true. And for me, it was just another, another thing I had to prove wrong. And exactly. players are always going to get that. And everyone's has their own story. And it's not a, it's not a fact that I'm feeling sorry for myself or anything like that, but it does give you a little bit more motivation to, to continue exactly. and to show what you can do and, and to perform to the best of your ability and know that whatever happens, I gave everything for it and I, I did it on my terms. And I think that's something that I've always aimed for with my career. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, th I think it's very interesting that you come at it from a different perspective, how, um, you know, America does the student athlete thing. A lot of people, see its flaws but if you look at it in a positive way you know there are a lot of good things to it like 100%. you said and um yeah man just like you said i mean you know you hear this a lot the most common thing is you're too old you know first of all that's the most common thing people hear yeah 
Um, first of all, it's an easy excuse for people to say. Uh, most people who say that, you know, unfortunately, they're, they're jealous that they didn't go after it. Um, but one of the something that I had heard a, a year or two ago from some guy, I forgot who it was, um, talked about how, for example, like if you're, you know, 21, 22, 23, ch- chasing the or 24, 25, however old you are chasing the pro contract uh, and you still haven't gotten there. Uh, and people tell you you're too old. You, you have to completely dismiss it. And look at, for example, uh, a guy like Wayne Rooney. You know, he, he's been playing first team football uh, since 15, 16. And how many miles and uh, how much stress does he have on his muscles, joints and, and ligaments compared to a guy who, who's trying to chase it at, at a older age, you know? Mm. And I think I think another kind of aspect to it, like you say, that is definitely something that plays a part. But I think the people that talk about age and talk about being too old, the the very well known stories are the ones like Marcus Rashford, uh, Kylian Mbappe, these people that break in at, at eighteen mm-hmm. and they change the game. And everyone goes, "Ah, oh, well, if you're not eighteen and you're broken in, <clears throat> then you're not gonna you're not gonna make it." If you actually think exactly. of it from a numbers perspective there are very, very few of them who break in at that age and reach the heights that they've reached. There are thousands others who, because they've gone past 18, perhaps they get to 19, 20, and they look at Kylian Mbappe and they look at Marcus Rashford and they go, I'm not there yet, so I'm going to quit. And they do quit. Mm -hmm. And there's thousands of people that quit because they think they're too old. Now, if if you continue when you're 22, 23, 24, Everyone at your age who is at the same level as you, which is probably 95%, they are dropping year after year after year because they are all quitting and they don't feel like they're going to make it because they're believing those those perceptions that you're too old. Now, suddenly you're looking around and you think, OK, so how many players actually at my level, in my technical ability, my mental ability, everything you've worked on in terms of a professional player that are my age, mm-hmm. suddenly the numbers are very, very low and you have a lot more scope to compete and as a footballer then whose career touch wood hopefully goes on to 34, 35, you look around at your mm-hmm. age and think, actually there's not many of us left. And suddenly when exactly. you do look into the team, Great point. the managers go, right, well, I need some elder players. I need some players with experience. I need some players who are mature. And suddenly because everyone's quit because they're too old in inverted commas, you're suddenly getting all these opportunities. So I think there's a, exactly. huge, there's a huge thing to say for people that persevere and continue when they want to achieve what they want to achieve, because a lot of people give up and the more Mm -hmm. people that give up, it just makes it slightly more easy for you to achieve what you want to achieve. So I think persistence is a definitely an undervalued characteristic. If you want to create a career in football. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the best points I've ever heard. Well put, well said. Uh, And just to add on to that, like, look, look, look at, for example, like a guy, like, you know, obviously everyone's heard of Jamie Vardy and the story and you can use it in many, many aspects, but the aspect I kind of want to get into is like, look at a guy who, um, you know, 17, 18 breaks in, breaks in uh, to the first team from the academy, like a guy like Mbappe, and he gets everything. You know, he gets his ass wiped with money. Excuse my language. Yeah. But it's true. You know, he gets his ass wiped. He gets everything handed to him. Everything's easy, you know. But, but what about when he hits 
some kind of obstacle, some kind of adversity, mm-hmm. it's going to be easier for him to throw his hands up and say, why me? Mm. But the guy who comes up from the lower leagues, who's been grinding his dick off, <laughs> you know, working, working nine, 10 hour jobs to, to pay, to pay for food, to pay for rent, yeah. um, you know, to, to buy boots, to buy stuff, you know, to pay the bills. Then he goes to training, puts in the work. Then he does an extra session, goes out in the cold when no one's looking, goes to a wall, uh, pings it against the wall. He's working on the wall, goes out, trains alone by himself all the time. Yeah. And then you got the other guy who, oh, yeah, he's always got someone to train with. Uh, food's always on the table for him. Mm-hmm. And, you, know, you know, I'm not saying it's, it's completely, you know, it's not, I'm not saying, imbo- you know, mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's like, completely the easiest thing of course for Mbappe but I'm just saying guys who are coming up from the lower leagues you got to look at the ment I think the most important thing is that mental toughness that like David Goggins and David Goggins says you're callousing that mind uh and you're doing hard shit every day to mm-hmm. get better mm-hmm. how good is it going to feel when you actually break in and things feel much much easier you're going to be able to take a deep breath and you're going to be like Wow, you know, I'm gonna, yeah. you know, eat these guys alive. Yeah, and I think having the knowledge that you have that mindset is a huge weapon because I look around and I mean, even even now, I mean, you'll know the same as me. We're not where we want to be yet, but we've got a lot mm-hmm. more work to do. And I look around and I think, even at the level that I'm playing at and people I'm with, and I think, actually, I can go tougher than this. It can get tougher than this, and I'm not gonna give up. Because I know where exactly. I've been, I know what I've, what happened, and I know what it's like to play in the northwest of England at minus five with not exactly. be, when you're paying to play, when the showers aren't yeah. warm, when there's no light, when you're caked in mud, and you think actually I've been there and I've got through it, and I'm getting better all the time. And I think having that mindset is a huge tool for you to fall back on and think actually whatever happens I know I can keep going I know I can keep improving I know I can keep working on myself to get where I want to go and as a result of that you inevitably will I think yeah absolutely absolutely and I think you know coming more from a psychological you know standpoint stress and anxiety are things that happen when you don't know uh, your future, you know, when you, when you feel like you said in the beginning, you feel overwhelmed when you, you know, you don't have stability and, uh, you know, you don't know what's going to happen with your career. Are you going to keep going? But like you said, when you build that mindset of, I can do anything, you know, whatever comes at me, I'm going to be able to handle it. And I'm going to be able to find a solution. Mm. You just, you just armor yourself. Um, and and I think it's essential in this game. Oh, definitely, hundred percent. Because it's not easy, <laughs> and I think if no. you're not if you're not going to have that mindset, no one's going to give it to you. No one's going to cover you in bubble bubble wrap. It, it will go wrong many many times, and there will be only yourself to look at in the mirror. And if you haven't got it, then it's not going to be able to carry on. So I think building that up from a young age, knowing that it's a process, knowing that it takes time, um, but eventually having that mindset will will see you through the other side. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Yeah, so if we could just go into um, a little bit of your uh, day in the life behind the scenes. I know you show it on YouTube, but yeah. if you could just describe, you know, a typical day in the life when you wake up, your breakfast, when you train. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's all on you. Yeah, I think it's um, it's funny because at the minute we train in the evenings over here 
so um, I'm living in Spain. Obviously, in Gibraltar is where we have our matches. We train sometimes in Gibraltar, sometimes in Spain. Um, the league is quite a funny league in the fact that some teams are full-time, some teams are part-time. We have some players like myself who, who are on kind of... we the, full, the reason we're here is for the football and we're paid as professionals. Mm-hmm. And then we have other t- lads on our team who are, still have other jobs and things. So it's, <laughs> it's a exactly. difficult kind of process. So we train in the evenings um, later on. So the days are my own, really, in the fact that I wake up, I'll normally depending on the day within the week and how far I am from game day, do my own training in terms of my own gym work, in terms of my own goalkeeper training, my own distribution training, my own rehab, recovery, stretching, foam rolling, all that kind of stuff. So I'll normally have a section in the morning when I wake up where I'll do the session that I do. Um, I'll then have my lunch. And in the afternoon, it's mainly resting in terms of I'll have probably a nap in the afternoon, but I'll also do any work that I want to do on the videos, on the vlogs, on the social media stuff that I'm doing, trying to continue with the content that I'm putting out. And then we train normally around nine o'clock in the evening. So we'll travel then down to Gibraltar or in Spain and we'll train late. So we'll train nine till 11. Um, And then obviously that's why the nap's needed because it's quite late Mm -hmm. in the day. Um, And then after training, I'll have my kind of recovery foods and I'll try and get my nine hours of sleep. And then it's kind of back at it again, really. Yeah. Great stuff, man. Um, so what are you, you know, what are you usually having for breakfast and lunch? So for breakfast, I'm, I'm pretty much a creature of habit really. So I, I like my porridge oats. So I, I normally have porridge oats with a little bit of whey protein in them. Um, I've just started trying it with soy milk instead of cow's milk. And that's been quite mm-hmm. interesting. Um, I'll have some bananas in it, some frozen blueberries in it, some kind of vitamin supplements as well. Um, and -hmm. that'll be my breakfast. And then for lunch, it depends what I'm doing in the day in terms of how I've trained in the morning, how much I need kind of recovery food wise, or whether I'm just preparing myself for the evening session. Um, it'll normally kind of be rice and, and vegetables based like green beans, tomatoes, mushrooms, spinach with a bit of rice, maybe a bit of pesto either some chicken or chickpeas or all, all sorts of kind of stuff, but normal mm-hmm. kind of combinations of the stuff that I'll need, whether I'm more recovery focused, so more higher in protein or whether I'm more kind of uh, building up the energy for the session where I'll go a bit more carby. Um, but that's kind of mm-hmm. normally what happens for my lunch. Sounds good, man. Um, yeah. And like you said, you know, uh, you're in the gym and you're doing extra stuff. How, how often, um, you know, are you in the gym per week? At the minute, because we're on kind of game every week, I'll train twice in the gym. So I'll normally have my game day. Uh, the day after game day, I'll do kind of a recovery session in the gym and an upper body session at the same time. So in the kind of that same session, which is quite a long one. Um, the day after, I'll do my kind of heavier leg weight session, um, which gives me, I've kind of found it gives me, a good period of kind of four days to make sure that I don't have any muscle soreness or any DOMS or any kind of too tight. And I can concentrate fully on football before my, my next game. Um, so sure. at, at the minute in the middle of the season, I'll only probably do two sessions in the gym in terms of weight sessions. Um, aside from that, I'm always kind of at home doing my yoga, my stretching, my foam rolling, my recovery. Uh, but in terms of weight sessions in season, I'll only really do two heavy sessions a week. Mm-hmm. 
just to give some of the listeners some context, um, you know, what, what would a typical leg session look for you like? Um, legs, I normally do kind of game day plus two, if you know what I mean. So not the day after game mm-hmm, day, but for the following. Sure. Um, as a goalkeeper, I obviously don't run very far. I don't have to cover a lot of ground. It's not as cardio focused. I'm more of a power app. So what I'm mm-hmm. working on with my legs is building that explosive power. So a lot sure. of a lot of my movements are kind of your your compound movements and the stuff that I'm trying to work on. So my squats, my RDLs, my hip thrusts. Um, I'll be going kind of lower rep ranges, not not a lot of reps, probably about seven or eight with three sets. Mm-hmm. Um, and the weight will obviously depend on how kind of how heavy I want to go in that week. But I'll look for power and explosiveness as opposed to building up kind of long um, endurance levels of training. So I'll be looking to just be power and explosive. So squats, RDLs, hip thrusts, uh, box jumps, like plyometrics, mm-hmm. um, step ups. Um, trying to think what else in the leg session. Yeah, all those kind of powerful, explosive movements. For sure. Sounds great. And then, like you said, you know, you do uh, you do some work on the pitch, you know, in terms of distribution, mm-hmm. um, things like that. Are you working with a coach? Are you with a partner? With yourself? How do you go about that? My distribution sessions, I'm quite I quite like doing them on my on my own. Um, so mm-hmm. I'll take a bag of balls with me. Normally, whichever kind of country I'll, I'll end up in, I'll always make sure that I've got some footballs. Um, yeah, and I'll try and find a local pitch it's quite difficult in spain because there's no parks like in england where there's like parks everywhere you can just go and train in spain it's all all astroturf so you have to try and find your way into one of them or rent the pitch or something um but i'll do my kind of typical distribution session i have a big concept that i'm a big fan of which is um symmetrical distribution so the area that i like to work on in distribution is to be able to use any technique within a game with either foot based on the Mm -hmm. situation that occurs within a match. So if I want to play off the floor, I need to be able to do it with my right foot, my left foot. If I need to hit a side volley, I need to do it with my right foot, my left foot. If I need to hit a half volley, I need to do it with my right foot, my left foot, because I never know what kind of space I'll have or what area I'll I'll have to execute that distribution tool in the given moment. So I like to work on both feet within that. So I'll do, for example, 10 goal kicks to my right-hand side with my right foot, then my left foot. I'll do 10 to my left-hand side with my right foot, then my left foot. Same with my side volleys, so 10 each right, left foot, 10 each left foot, right foot. On the other side, same with my half volleys. So I'll end up kicking 80 balls, but I've evenly split them between my right foot and my left foot, and I'll make sure that I'm developing my technical ability with distribution on both feet because that's something that I've found has separated me from other goalkeepers because there may be... Mm -hmm. Even when you look at the very, very top, Edison is an incredible distributor, just distributor of the ball. I've never seen anyone like him. But mm-hmm. if he messes up his left foot, he will not be the same goalkeeper. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's very difficult. I, the only one I can really see is Ter Stegen. I love watching him. Mm-hmm. With both feet, he is very, very, very comfortable. And I think that's something that in the last few years has stood out in my game and something that I keep working on with my distribution sessions in order to be symmetrical with my distribution yeah real smart and just like you said in the beginning uh when looking looking for connections to get into the professional game you said you know you got to differentiate yourself yeah and um like i always love to connect football to business uh Mm -hmm. 
I'm sure you know this point, you know, you, you got to have that unique selling proposition. You got to, you got to be unique in some way and different than other players yeah. um, to be an asset to a team. Yeah. And like you said, you know, if you can hit, hit those balls with both feet, you know, that, that right there just makes you a different goalkeeper than others. hundred percent, hundred percent. And it changes over time. I mean, you look back 10, 15 years ago and, Pepe Reina stood out because he could hit a side volley wherever he wanted to. Now, mm-hmm. you look at professional goalkeepers, every single one of them can hit a side volley wherever they want to. All of them can. Yeah, exactly. Because that is 15 years of people working on it. But I'll then take the ball and I'll do the same with my left foot as I'll do with my right foot. And I'll look at every other goalkeeper, they haven't got a chance. I don't think they'll even be able to mm-hmm. kick it. So, yeah. again, it will change. In another 10, 15 years, everyone will be able to do it with both feet. But... For sure. You're right. In whatever position you are on the field, you need to make sure that, yes, you can do the basics well, but which is the, the most important thing as a professional. You do the basics perfectly 100% of the time, but you also have something that you stand out on and something that makes you unique. And I think that's something that I've found in the last few years has worked for me, definitely. Absolutely, man. And, and how often are you doing those sessions per week? In terms of distribution, it'll depend um obviously if i've had a very kind of distribution heavy weekend in terms of games if i've kicked a lot of balls i won't do as mm-hmm. much in terms of just mm-hmm. making sure my joints are okay but out of season i'll make sure i'll do it once or twice a week in terms of my distribution sessions um if in season i don't want to focus on it as much then my goalkeeper sessions will be geared around other things in terms of my handling my positioning my uh, explosive power my my spring my footwork all that kind of stuff and it will kind of depend mm-hmm maybe on things that I want to work on. So after kind of analyzing my game footage, maybe there was something that I wasn't as good at as I'd like to be. So that might be my session focus. Um, But it it varies based on what I want to kind of improve and get better at, or maybe implement for that weekend's game. There might be an area that I know they put in a lot of crosses or a lot of long throws. Mm -hmm. So I'll do a lot of work on crosses and that kind of thing. So it, it, it can vary quite a lot. Makes a lot of sense, man. Um, yeah, so how often are you training with your team? Every day? No, we probably train about four times a week with the team. We'll play once a week. We'll have a day off a week, but it can vary, obviously, depending on kind of players' training schedules and, and work schedules and things like that. So um, there can be quite a big variation, but we'll train, I'd say on average, maybe three or four times a week. And then the rest of the time mm-hmm. is kind of my own individual sessions and obviously the game days. And I'll try and make sure that there's one rest day in there a week as well. For sure, man. Makes sense. And then like, if we get a bit into the recovery, I know you talked about uh, foam rolling, stretching, the yoga. Yeah. Um, how often are you doing that? And when are you kind of plugging that into your day? Well, I'll make sure that I do a full recovery session the day after a game. So mm-hmm. that'll be... When I go in, I'll do a kind of 10-minute spin bike. I'll come off that and I'll do a full-body kind of stretching routine, which I've kind of developed, which helps me cover basically everything that I need to cover with dynamic and static stretches. Then Mm -hmm. I'll make sure I'll do my foam roll. Um, I've been fortunate enough. I've started working with a company called Pulse Roll, which is like a a vibrating foam roll, basically. Um, And that's been really helpful to kind of get into those kind of pressure points. Um, so foam roll, pulse roll, all that kind of stuff. And then if I want to, if I need a quick turnaround, I'll have kind of ice bath recovery. So I might do hot and cold alternate baths for two, three minutes each. 
maybe two, mm-hmm. three times, something like that. And that'll all be the day after a game if I want to for a full recovery session. Then throughout the week, um, it'll be based on how I'm feeling. So if I've had a heavy session, I'll do a kind of mini recovery session the morning after. If I'm if I'm not feeling kind of ready um, in a in a body sense for the game, I'll add in another one. But I always do my stretching routine before everything I do. So before my kind of any training session, any weight session, any gym session, any goalie session. So uh, flexibility is a kind of big important factor in my game. But in terms of full recovery sessions, I probably do one big one a week, and then throughout the week. <laughs> depending how my body's feeling and what it's telling me, I'll, I'll, I'll add, in, add, add in more throughout the week. For sure. And since you started implementing that, have you noticed, like, you know, increases in your game on the pitch? Yeah, it's funny. I think definitely flexibility. I think there's a, there's a huge lack of flexibility in football in general, in all positions. For sure. I think For sure. when I – it still baffles me that – the majority of players on every team that I've ever played in can't touch their toes. And I think, exactly. I think it's ridiculous. And I think you look at, you look at these people who, and I've heard it time and time again, and you'll have heard it where it's like, well, it's either power or flexibility. You can't have both. And I'll go, exactly. and I'll say, tell me Conor McGregor's not powerful and tell me, yeah. tell me he's not flexible or tell me that an Olympic gold medalist gymnast is not powerful and flexible. And I think exactly. it's just ridiculous. So, flexibility has been huge when I was a kid I was awful I was one of them and my brother and sister both did gymnastics and they used to take the mick out of me they used to say you can't touch your toes you're a joke you can't call yourself an athlete and yeah from that moment I stretched every single day and I still do wow. and now flexibility I mean I can do the splits and it helps me as a goalkeeper for my split saves and things like that for moving around the goal it's a huge area of my game um, but also injury prevention is massive. Exactly. And you see the number of footballers that go down with hamstring tears or or things in your knee joints. And, and I just think if you aren't willing to put in those 20 minutes, 30 minutes before and after a session to look after your muscles and look after your joints, then you're a, you're a ticking time bomb and it's going to go at some point. Um, so yeah, absolutely. Looking across sports and seeing the people at the very, very top of different sports and and flexibility is always a, a huge factor. So I think it's it's a vital investment that you need as a as a professional player. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you said, you know, I mean, it's only about ten ten to twenty minutes per day, but if you do it consistently over time, it's going to add up. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, and, then, and then in terms of your nutrition, I mean, you talk a little bit about the, the breakfast and the lunch. Mm. Uh, h- how do you kind of schedule that dinner in? Because you said, you know, you guys train at nine, yeah. uh, finish at 11. Are you eating before? Are you eating after? Are you doing both? I, how do you like to work that? I've tried both. And for me, before is better. I, I find it very difficult mm-hmm. to eat properly after a session that late. Um, so I've... I've norm I normally eat three hours before my session, so I'll try and eat at like six PM. So it's not too difficult um in terms of timing wise. Uh, after my session I'll make sure that I kind of have the foods that I need for recovery. So I'll always take a protein shake after my session. Immediately mm-hmm. when I get home I might have a little bit of porridge with peanut butter or like peanut butter and jam on toast or something. Just a little something where I can get in some carbs and, and and proteins and that kind of thing um but it won't be a full meal um before, exactly. before my training session that's when i'll make sure that i have all the kind of groups that i need and that'll be kind of 6 p.m so i'll eat my breakfast nine my lunch at one two and then my dinner at six and i'll just train later on with a little snack afterwards really 
Makes sense, man. Makes sense. And um, in addition to the meals, you take any any supplements? So I'll have my whey protein that I take kind of after after training sessions, after games. I always add a little bit into my breakfast as well. Um, vitamins, I'll take my kind of multivitamin kind of supplements in my breakfast just to make sure that I'm getting everything that I need. Um, but apart from that, I don't take much else. I, I, I probably need to do a bit more research myself into things, uh, the added stuff that I can get um anything like creatine or anything like that and I, I don't have too much else apart from that um but that's that's kind of what's worked for me so far mm-hmm. for sure yeah i mean I, you sound like you're pretty dialed in on all the uh the right macronutrients and you know the, the right timing of your meals so mm. you might not even need that stuff mm. i mean it's funny because i mean before i went to loughborough i didn't really have the knowledge of it and going to Loughborough, same with S&C and training in the gym, it taught me a lot in terms of nutrition and, and physical training. Um, but, I mean, you can always learn a bit more. I think if you get too hyped up on it, you, it can kind of overcome your whole day and, you, and you're stressing about it and worrying about all these different exactly. things. I think listening to your body, first of all, is the most important thing. So even now, yeah. I'm playing with it a little bit. I'm kind of taking out as much. I'm not trying to not eat as much meat and things like that. But... I'll do mm-hmm. it based on how I'm feeling. So I'll give it a week exactly. or two weeks. And if I don't feel as good or I don't feel as kind of good in my performance, then I'll make little adjustments. But uh, I think listening to your body is the most important thing because that's, that'll be what's best for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's, a, that's an absolutely great point. And, and I try to tell that to people all the time, you know, uh, your DNA is different than every other single human. Mm-hmm. So Obviously, you could take bits and pieces from people and try things out. And, and the most important thing, like you said, is you try things out. You give it its course of time. Yeah. If it's not working for you, you change it. Yeah. You know, if it does work, you keep it and you could do some additions. Yeah. Um, you don't want to go full circle. I mean, you know, sometimes I really don't think it's ideal to go full circle. I think you should add it by bits and pieces and, and take it, you know, step by step and, instead of trying to go full blown. You know? Yeah. But, uh, but like you said, I mean, just listen to your body, testing it out. Like you said, it's, it's the best teller of, of everything. Yeah. hundred percent. But yeah, man, I mean, been great to have you on. Got a couple last bits, last, mm-hmm. uh, questions. Yeah. Um, I know this is one of the toughest questions I always ask people and tough question for me to answer myself, but I think it's really important, uh, mm-hmm. for the youngsters to hear people on the grind. Um, you know, were there any times in your life that you thought about hanging up the boots? Uh, and if so, you know, what made you keep going? It's funny because I, I spoke about this in, in my vlog last year, but there was, there was a hundred, I know exactly the point. And it was, it was about November 2018. Let me think second year of university. So Loughborough, um, let me think. 25th, no 2016 November 2016 and it was the second year of uni I was in bad form I wasn't playing well I wasn't getting on with the management they kind of weren't giving me the feedback to help me improve but I took it very very badly so I got in a very very negative headspace I was I was mm-hmm. I was thinking I'm not a professional I'm not being paid I'm playing against mm-hmm. part-time players I'm playing badly um, I'm playing in all these places that I don't want to play what is the point? Am I am I ever going to make exactly. it to where I want to go when mm-hmm. I'm playing in these 
horrible places and I'm not playing well. And I remember I was on FaceTime to my mum and dad and I was literally saying, I was like, I might just call it a day, to be honest, because mm. I've put in all this work and I'm not seeing any progress with it. And the thing that kept me going was going to Spain, funnily enough. Mm. I knew that the following summer I was going to go to Spain because it was already in my degree program. And mm-hmm. I thought, yeah, okay, in England at the minute, I'm not playing well. People saying I'm not good enough. I'm not going to make it as a pro. I'm not tall enough. But let me mm-hmm. let me change the environment. Let me see something exactly. new. Let me try a new type of football. And suddenly I go to to Spain and I'm with all these professional clubs and not a single coach while I was in Spain, not a single coach nor player asked how tall I was. Never. Wow. wow. N- not one question. Whereas in England, mm-hmm. every time I got in touch with someone, it was the first question they had. <laughs> Instead, in Spain, they were saying, oh, you're really good at this. You need to improve at this. And all yeah. of a sudden, I'm training with these people that have played for Argentina, Real Madrid. And I'm thinking, I'm, I can compete with you guys. Okay, I'm not as good as mm-hmm. you, but I can see how I could get to your level. And that mm-hmm. change of environment showed me that just because in one place it's not working doesn't mean you're doing it wrong. Yeah. It might mean that you need to go somewhere else. You need to see something new. You need to try something else. You need to recognize how to improve in a different environment. And I think that was a huge moment in my career that showed me I'm not limited to England. I can go wherever I want to go. And as long as I keep getting better, okay, if it's not someone's cup of tea, I'll try and I'll try it somewhere else. And as as a result of that, I've managed to kind of build this initial career and something that I hope to continue for many years to come. So um, that moment was definitely a hard moment, but it was one I look back on and think, actually, I came through that and look where I am now and what I've done so far. So, um, yeah, it's definitely a huge kind of point in my career. Hello. Hey, you hear me, man? Yeah, I can hear you. Ah, perfect. Sorry about that. Um, but just to add on to that, like you said, uh, man, football is a game of opinion. Like. Mm beginning uh the football in england and the football in spain are very very different um they're looking and like you said no matter what position you play they're looking for different qualities in a player in that role in that position and and that being said even in the same country when you run into different managers who come from different backgrounds they're looking for a guy who has different qualities so there isn't this one um you know, I can't really find the word, but there isn't this one, you know, if you, if you look at a right back or you look at a center back, there isn't like, there are qualities that Mm -hmm. you want to have, but there, there isn't this one thing. There isn't this like one player. You can't, man, I cannot. Yeah. It's not one size fits all. It it has, it has exactly the, the ability to bring something new with each player. Exactly. And like we, we had been saying for the longest time, uh, you got to be unique and you got to go towards your strengths. 
Um, and, and I think that's what, what determines where you're going to be. And like you said, you know, you change the environment and you can take a nice fresh breath, a nice uh, deep breath of air. And, uh, you know, you never know yeah. what can happen, like yeah, what happened exactly. to you. Exactly. Um, i got two more questions for yeah. you. If you to yourself at yeah. any age you wanted to and give yourself the mm. wisdom that you have today, what age, what age would you choose and what would you tell yourself? I think, it, I think it's quite related to that point. I think when I was, I remember when I was 15 and I was playing for, um, for Macclesfield, I had some Republic of Ireland scouts come to watch me play um, because my, my dad's side of the family are Irish and I could qualify for Ireland. And, and I was so, so excited that they were going to come and watch me play. And after the game, I was so keen to know what they've said and I went to my manager and I said what did they say what did they say and they said ah oh, they said you're a really good goalkeeper but you're too small um you won't be big enough mm-hmm. and um they're sorry but it it won't work for now and I was gutted I was absolutely devastated and I'd go back mm-hmm. to that moment and I'd let myself be gutted because it is it is horrible and everyone needs to hear it at some point but I'd say to I'd say to myself mm-hmm. that my ability isn't defined by my height and at that moment for sure why don't I make sure that I stand out in every single area of goalkeeping and that I'm the best in every single area of goalkeeping so that when they watch me they don't even think about my height because I'm the best at taking crosses I have the best hands I have the best distribution I'm the best shot stopper I'm the quickest I'm the strongest I'm the most agile and it took me a long time to realize that. It probably took me till I was 18, 19 before I realized that actually, why don't I just be the best at everything and control what I can control instead of fretting or worrying about how tall I'm going to be because there's nothing I can do about it. And I think now that I've, I've mm-hmm. realized that, I've had years of just focusing on improving what I can, can improve and I've been managing to reap the benefits mm-hmm. of that. So I'd kind of go back to that moment and I'd say, listen, I understand that you're going to be upset and that's right that you are, but use it as a fuel and instead look to improve everything that you can mm-hmm. improve and control what you can control. Exactly. And looking back at that moment, you're probably yeah. grateful for that. You know, obviously in during the time, it wasn't the best, wasn't the best feeling, but I'm, I'm sure you're grateful for that. You know, like you said, pushing past that and, and doing everything you can to make yourself yeah, the best goalkeeper possible. And like you said, I think that's a great point. Like when people watch you, they, they don't even think about your height because of exactly. how good you that's, are. With that's every the other aim. And without that moment, there would have been another moment where I was told I was too small and maybe I wouldn't have been able to come through it. So um, like you say, I am grateful for it. And it taught me a lot as a result. And um, I, I think it's a, it's in a mentality that kids of whatever position should have because there's only so much you can control so focus on those focus on those elements Mm -hmm. and get better at those things rather than worrying and wasting time looking at the things that are out of your control absolutely man absolutely yeah man uh you've given so many great pieces of advice great nuggets uh but if you could just you know sum it up you know maybe give a couple you know one to three pieces of advice uh, to a footballer who's looking yeah. to become a pro, what what are a couple of things you would? Yeah, I get quite you know, a lot simplified. of people asking it, and my response mm-hmm. is is dependent on age. I think, and when 
when young kids asked me, mm-hmm. uh, kind of 12 and under, I said, just play where you enjoy playing. Play somewhere that you're happy. Play somewhere you exactly. enjoy football. Because exactly. I've been at the best place in the country and I didn't enjoy it. <laughs> and I've been on a muddy Sunday league pitch mm-hmm. and I was having the best time of my life. And I'd, if yeah, I'd have stayed great in that place where I didn't enjoy it, I probably wouldn't be in football now. And I'd have burnt myself out and I wouldn't mm-hmm. have the motivation. So, I mean, you have to enjoy it at whatever age. But when you're a kid, the most important thing is you're playing somewhere that you enjoy. As you get a bit older and you want to become a pro sure. and that's something that you want to do as a career, the, the advice that I give then is to say, make sure that you improve an area of your game by 1% every day. Do something every day that gets you better, mm-hmm. whether that is doing extra training on mm-hmm. your own, whether that's watching pros and analysing how they play, whether that's working on your mindset and your sports psychology, whether that's improving your nutrition and your sleep pattern. Any any area of your game, make sure that you do something every day that gets you better by at least 1%. And as a result, over time, those percentages will add up and over a year, two years, five years, ten years, you'll look back and think, I've come a long way as a player and I've got where I want to be because I've got better every single day. So that's what I say for those that kind of want to make it within football. Absolutely. Fantastic. Thanks so much for ending on that. And like I said, man, uh, thanks so much for coming on, taking the time. Um, no, I, I know I, you're a busy guy. You got a lot of stuff. Thank to you do. for having so me. I, on. I appreciate I'm, it, man. I'm grateful that you asked um, me, and I'm a big fan of what you're doing as well. So keep going with it because it's a huge inspiration, not only to young players but also players that are playing like myself. So thank you for that. Appreciate that, man. And like you said, um, you know, you got the YouTube channel, mm-hmm. uh, you got Instagram. Uh, if you want to, you know, drop those and, you know, what's the best place that people could get in contact with you? Uh, I'll put it in the description, but if you could just, you know, on Instagram, I'm con underscore O'Keefe one and and I'll answer anyone that sends me a message on there. I'll try and talk and help wherever I can. Um, I obviously have the YouTube channel, which is just my name, Connor O'Keefe. And on there, I, I upload the kind of keeping goals blogs, which are once a week, every Sunday, every Sunday I upload a vlog and, um, kind of document my journey as a professional footballer and the highs and lows and show the reality of it. So if people are interested in that, then they're more than welcome to come and watch and, and stick around for that. But um, yeah, Twitter, Instagram, all the social media stuff, I'm on there. If anyone has any questions, feel free to reach out and I'll try my best to help. Awesome, man. Appreciate it. Appreciate the uh, positive attitude, the humbleness and wish you the best of luck in uh, the rest of the season. And yeah, uh, I'm sure Thank we'll catch you for having up me soon, on. Man. And uh, good luck with your season two. Good luck with what you're doing. And uh, I appreciate it, mate. And you, mate. Appreciate Take you, care. brother. Have a good one. Bye. All right. Peace, bro. I hope you really enjoyed that episode. I'm sure you got a lot out of it. I know I did. I learned a lot. Took a lot of insights, had a great conversation with the dude. As you could see, he's a very knowledgeable guy, real humble, hardworking. That's what you get in most goalkeepers, to be honest. Appreciate you tuning in. Uh, Once again, if you enjoyed the episode, if you enjoyed the podcast, I'd really appreciate if you could leave a review on iTunes, on Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you're listening to it, I would really, really appreciate it. If you want to get in touch with Connor, you could hit him up on Instagram at con underscore O'Keefe one. 
You could also search him up on YouTube, Connor O'Keefe, where he has a vlog called Keeping Goals, where he has three seasons already recorded of his journey to his first professional contract, of his Day in the Lives video, and he shows a lot of great content in that YouTube channel, and I think you'd really gain a lot from tuning into that. Once again, I appreciate you listening to the podcast. Hope you have a great rest of the Sunday, and you have a great start to your week. Get after it.